Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Glad to have you with us. You know, interestingly, last week, I, I was texting back and forth with a dear friend of mine. Um, she has a place right on the Gulf in, wait for it, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Now, she lives in West Bend, but um, she owns this this place, and she rents it out during the year. But she's down there. She was down there, came down in mid-September, and so we, we were, I said, hey, did you get that? She drove down there, and I said, did you get down there safely? And she sent me a note back saying, yeah, it's just absolutely beautiful. Who Who wouldn't want to be here? And I said, well, that's great, except when the bad weather moves in. And I was just kind of being funny. Well, the, the bad weather has, in fact, moved in. Matter of fact, I was going to try to get Colleen on the – I, I wanted to call her because we we were texting sort of back and forth, but she sent me a note saying her phone is almost dead. There's no way of recharging it, so there's no power that's there. She says that last night at 3.30 in the morning, it was – let me just quote this directly. 3.30 in the morning, she said 80-mile-an-hour winds. You know, 80-mile-an-hour winds at 3.30 in the morning uh, said pretty – Pretty scary. 18-foot waves, 80-mile-an-hour winds, a little scary at 3.30 this morning. Um, it would be a little scary, I think, period, any time. When I, when I, I talked to her yesterday afternoon, because she, she called, and I, I just I said, why aren't you leaving? And she said, yeah, my kids were asking the same question. But she decided to ride it out. She's on the fourth floor, and I, I don't know how bad the damage has been other than um, no power. When she called me, she said, yeah, the, the TV's just out now, and I assume we'll lose power. But, uh, yeah, it's just just kind of very, very scary as you look at this. And it's it's not just the winds, but it's the fact that this hurricane is moving so incredibly slowly. And she happens to be in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is where the hurricane made landfall. So it was kind of a direct hit. You know, they're talking about three, four, five feet of water. Just incredible. And then you've got the storm surge and all of that. So... Um, been checking in with her all morning trying to figure that out but it's um wow just just wow i guess i i it's easy to say when you haven't been through this but again for me my wife and i were talking about this you know if i'm watching these reports and i'm anywhere in the eye eye of a hurricane it looks like it might hit i think i'm getting my wife i'm getting the dog we're jumping in the car and we're getting out of dodge just you know going inland i'm going 100 miles inland or going wherever because uh, then you can come back but so I, I at least know somebody that's been riding that out and hopefully it will all turn out for the better this is um it is a unfortunate story for those of us who have lived in Wisconsin most, if not all, of our lives. But I guess it, it's predictable that the news today is the, the Tommy Bartlett water ski show, which has been a staple of the Wisconsin Dells and the whole tourism you know, industry in, in Wisconsin uh, for 69 years. The, the Tommy Bartlett water show goes back 69 years. It was, now, Tommy Bartlett himself passed away in the 1990s, but Tom Deal, who's one of the empresarios of of, of the Dells and just a, a, a leader in tourism in, in the state, um, you know, he, he's operated that. And this year, they they canceled it because of COVID-19, because there were limits on, on large gatherings. So just like you can't attend Brewers games, and just like so far, they're not letting people into Lambeau Field, and just like we don't have concerts, you... you 
you, you couldn't have people attending like these water ski shows, uh, which ran from typically Memorial Day through Labor Day. So they, they canceled it for this year. The hope at the time was that they were going to bring back the water ski show for next year. And of course, I guess it's not surprising, but today they announced that, um, it's, it's done. The, the Tommy Bartlett show is, is over. Um, what they say is that you know, this summer, obviously, a complete loss of revenue. I mean, no money at all coming in because of the pandemic. They say each fall that they start to plan for next season. But the problem is they don't know what next season is going to look like. And they're saying, OK, we had no money at all coming in this year. We don't know, uh, you know, if, if you could just make sure that, oh, okay, next year we're, we're going to be able to operate business as usual. Maybe it's a decision you make, but you don't know what next year is going to look like. So they just said, you know, we, we had no money coming in this year. We can't undergo additional financial risk and investment to begin planning for the summer of 2021 because, you know, you make all these investments, you spend all this money, and then it turns out that next summer, God forbid, is no better than this summer. So what they say is we just made the very difficult decision that we are closing. Um, we're closing the showdown, period. So it's another one of these casualties of, of COVID-19, like so many restaurants that were very, very successful before the the the, the shutdown and now their, their history. I, I know that there's some restaurants that have been closed since March who haven't made final decisions about whether they're reopening or not. But candidly, and I'm not wishing them ill, if, if you've been closed for six months, moving into a Wisconsin winter and you haven't reopened, my guess is most of those businesses that have been closed since March, they're probably not going to reopen. And another one of the casualties of the pandemic, the Tommy Bartlett Water Show, uh, next year would have been its 70th year, and it, it just didn't make it. All right, when we come back, a lot of people talking about let's defund the police. All right, is that the way to go? The city of Milwaukee is going to have a very, very difficult decision to make in the very near future. I will share the details with you, and we'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. All across the country, there is pressure being put on various local offices, mayors, county executives, common councils, county boards. There's pressure by activists to do what they call defund the police. Now, for some, defund the police means exactly what it says. It means we're not going to pay money to have any more police officers. Now, how they think that they're going to be able to maintain law and order is beyond me. Some people, though, say, well, defund the police doesn't really mean defund the police. It means cut police budgets significantly. Now, in the city of Milwaukee, the police budget is about $300 million, okay? It gets it gets a ton of money. There, there's no question about this. And the police department represents approximately 45% of the city's general fund and just about 20% of the overall budget. So like one out of every $5 goes to fund the police department. So they've been having hearings in Milwaukee uh, about this. And interestingly, when they were taking testimony a couple weeks ago, the overwhelming number of people who showed up 
they wanted to defund the police department or at least significantly cut the funding it has. Over 30 people gave testimony at this virtual hearing that they had, 21 of them, and it's all part of these these organized groups that show up, 21 said, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to cut $75 million from the police department budget. In other words, we want you to reduce the budget by 25%. All right, that's the idea. Now, it is pretty apparent that members of the Common Council don't know if they're going to reduce the budget by 25%, but they're clearly looking to reduce the budget. And if you reduce the amount of money that you spend on the police department, what that means is means that you're going to have fewer police officers that are going to be on the force. Now, in this year, because of budget cuts, 60 police officers or their positions disappeared. In some cases, it was people who had retired or had left the department and their positions weren't filled. But you lost 60 positions. The estimate is that if you go along with anything close to this cut that's being pushed, what you're going to do is you're going to reduce the size of the department by an extra 120 police officers. Now, how can I say this subtly? I think this is absolutely nuts. I understand that it might be politically correct. I understand that this might have some appeal to, I don't know, some of the more left-leaning parts of the community who view the police as enemies. But given the fact that right now we have 120-plus homicides, literally double where we were at the same time last year, given the fact that we are looking I don't know, at a number of homicides that you're probably going to have to go back to the early 1990s when you had gangs that were engaging in the crack cocaine wars to come up with as many homicides as we're going to have this year. Shootings are going up. You've got the carjackings. You've got all the other crime that is going there. To me, at this point in time in the history of the city, to think about defunding the police or reducing the police budget by 25%, or even 20% or 15% or 10%, meaning fewer police officers on the street, to me that would be the height of insanity. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Look, I understand it's fashionable to say, let's take this money that we're spending on police and, and let's Let's put it into social justice programs and let's put it into job training programs or let's spend it in all these different fashions. Okay, fine. There might be a time, maybe at some point in time, when you can consider that. But we are not at that point in time. Do you really want fewer police officers out on the street at a time where crime appears to be as out of control as it's always, as it's ever been. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. So what do you think? Uh, is it, is it time to cut the cops? The police department. Uh, doesn't solve the problems that the majority of people in Milwaukee want to solve. The fact is, is we want a better uh, police and uh, community relationships, and we want uh, the, uh, the 
bad police officers to be recognized and to be removed from the force, which the black community really can't afford a, a bad police officer, as we've seen. So, so how does uh, basically uh, taking away the funding for the police officers and which puts less police officers on out here on the street? Yeah, see, I, I, I'm with you. I, I look, I, I understand, and you, you've hit it on the head. I mean, the the biggest problem that you have is you have police community relations, and you have this breach of trust between the police department and between you know some segments of the community. And I see, I'm with you. I, I don't understand how having fewer police officers, so you you can't respond, so that there's not as many police officers to respond to murders and rapes and car thefts and all this other stuff. Yes. How does that improve the how, how does that improve police community relations if somebody, say, in the inner city gets carjacked, calls up the police, and then they have to wait you know, an, an extra two hours because there's not as many cops? That doesn't make police community relations any better. Yeah, it, 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 it's absolutely uh, opposite of what we want in this community. We just want better police officers. We want police officers that understand what's going on out of the community and, and respond to the issues that, that, that we right. face every day. And we're tired of seeing empty, empty police uh, squads sitting out on, on the road, and there's no police officers, yep. and it's just it's the squad sitting out there. And, 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 and so the criminals out here, they know exactly what's going on. Sure. So they continue to do what they want to do. No, they, they, absolutely. You know, it, like I, I say, it's uh, – no, look, I, I think, if anything, you could make an argument that rather than cutting the number of police officers and taking money away, now's the time to be putting even more money into police departments. Okay, let's – let, let's make sure that all the officers have those body cameras that they're supposed to have let, so we can document the police-citizen encounters. Let's do everything we can to increase the response time. Now, look, I, I understand that there, there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out how to, to be smarter, but th- this idea that we're going to somehow do something good and positive for the community by reducing the number of sworn police officers by by 10% or whatever is silly because if you think that you're not going to have a cutback in services, well, again, make sure you you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. Let's talk to Kurt in Oak Creek. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. So now is not the right time. To, to be cutting police, but when is that time? Are, are we going to wait? There's no murders and no crime in Milwaukee. Well, we're not going to get there. Well, I, I'm not it's saying no question. murders and no crime, but we're, we're not at that point. You're, you're looking like at the homicide rate right now, which you're going to have to go back 30 years to have that level. I, I, I don't know when you're at that point, but you're not close to it now, are you? Well, then what number do you want? Give, give me a number. Well, I, 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 I can't give you a number other than to tell you that we're not anywhere close to that now. I mean, I don't, I don't know, five or ten years from now, if you get the homicide rate and the, and the uh, shooting rate and it's down dramatically, down 50, down 60 percent, something like that, maybe. But we're, all I can tell you is we're not close to that now. I don't know what the target. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, go ahead. Well, hold on. There's, there's one other thing I want to point out is that it's a question of do you want to treat the symptom or do you want to treat the disease? Well, why is it More a mutually exclusive? Isn't. Why is it mutually exclusive? Because we, because we live in a world with limited resources. If huh? the Milwaukee city, the city of Milwaukee had an unlimited budget, they could, they could hire all the police they need, all the equipment they need, plus fund jobs programs and make sure every school is top-notch. We wouldn't be having this conversation, but Econ 101... We live in a world of finite resources. Right. And I think it's 
I think if you want to think long term, if you want to think about Milwaukee 10 and 20 and 30 years from now, people with good jobs and good education don't commit crime. Right. So I think we but need to pe- think about this long term. Well, I and see, and, I don't I don't disagree with you, but but businesses don't locate in areas that are shooting galleries. Businesses don't locate in high crime areas. You're you're not going to see. I don't think it's a chicken and an egg thing. I think until you get control of crime, you're not going to have economic development. You're not going to have the good jobs because people aren't going you, to locate. You just, you just made a chicken and egg argument that we got to get crime under control before we can start investing in the next generation so they don't commit crime. No, what, so, I, no let me be clear here. I mean, I think, no, what I, I, let, me, let me be real clear here. I, the, the, the chicken and the egg argument is which came first, the chicken or the egg. I, I don't think that's an appropriate situation here. In this case, I think it's really clear. You've got to get crime under control before anything else positive happens. Look at New York City back in the Rudy Giuliani days. New York City was an absolute, complete, and total disaster. And then what happened is Rudy Giuliani became the mayor, and they launched a, a program that was designed to, I don't know, deal with the criminal element. Let's let's ferret out all these different problems. And as soon as you started getting crime under control, then businesses started developing. So no, I don't think it's a chicken and the egg thing at all. I think it's a situation where before any of this other stuff happens, you need to get crime under control. Now, I think it's a fair question to ask me, okay, when when can you start reducing the police department? And and I, I don't know that I have an answer to when you can start, but I can tell you in an era where the homicide rate is almost double what the homicide rate was last year, this is not the time to start saying let's reduce the police department by 10 or 15 percent so we can fund midnight basketball. I'm not against midnight basketball, okay? Not against job training programs and things of the like, but if you're going to put that money in and you're going to make that investment, I don't think it can come at the expense of public safety, and that's precisely what it would be. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, this is a really cool thing, and time is running out for you to participate in it. And if you own a business or know somebody that does own a business, you, you really need to get their attention. And I understand this is one of those things where people might hear about it and think, that, what, what are the strings that are attached? And, and there really isn't. This is, this is a contest that uh, was put together by some of our marketing people and our management and our good friends at Associated Bank. But And, and the whole idea behind this is to reach out and to help In this case, it's going to be one business that's really had some tough times over the course of the last, you know, several months. So do you own a local business or know someone who does? Well, one small business could win a $50,000 advertising campaign. And again, this is, this is no strings attached. This is no fine print. This isn't, oh, we're, you know, it's a way to try to like lure people into having to buy all this advertising. No, no, it's, it, it's legit. News Radio 620 WTMJ is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed through these challenges. Times to nominate a company or a group, go to this website. It's rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com. You have until September 27th. So, you know, what's that about another like 10 days or so? One deserving business is going to walk away with an ad campaign valued at $50,000. Time is running out again. Head to rebuildingwibusiness.com now for entry details and official contest rules. Associated Bank is, of course, a member of the FDIC.
you know, a, a lot of times, I, I admit over the years, on the program, we've talked about or complained about, you know, businesses or institutions that don't provide good service and things like that. And I, I've always thought in an effort to be fair, what you need to do is when, when you deal with something that just goes exactly like it's supposed to, you, you need to call that out. People, for whatever reason, that they hate insurance companies and, and they hate utilities. And I've never quite understood that. But I, I, I've always been a fan of We Energies because whenever I have had, have had an issue with We Energies, I, I've always found them to be incredibly responsive. And I have one of those stories today. All right. So a few months ago, I get this note. I get this letter in the mail saying we need to replace the gas meter at your your house. And I, I had, when I lived in Whitefish Bay, I had to do this once. And it's like, it's not that there's anything wrong with the gas meter. It's just that they have a, a program of, of updating equipment. And I, the, the get, home I live in is like 20 years old or something like that. And, and so it's an original equipment gas meter. And so what they do is they do these safety checks. And then, you know, periodically, every 15 or 20 years, they, they come out and they replace them. Well, okay, I got the first letter and I kind of ignored it. And then because what you have to do is you have to call and you have to schedule an appointment and and you're supposed to be home when all this happens because what they have to do is they have to get into your house and they they turn off not just the gas to your house, but they turn off the gas to your gas fireplace and they turn off the gas to your hot water heater and all those things. And then they replace the the meter and then they they turn it all back on. So you have to be home. So I, I admit I kind of ignored the first one. Then they sent me a second letter and it convinced me that, okay, this was problem's not going to go away. So about three weeks ago, I called, made an appointment. They wouldn't give me an exact time, which is always kind of frustrating, but they said, okay, the window is 7 to 10. I said, okay, that's great. 7.15 this morning, I get a call from Joe. Joe with We Energies, and it's actually it's a contractor I think they hire. He says, you know, we, we, I've got to replace your, your gas main, and I'm, I'm on my way out. I'll be there in 10 minutes. I said, great. So you know, 10 minutes later, he arrives couldn't be nicer guy goes down into the basement turns off the hot water heater turns off the gas fireplace up in the living room goes outside changes out the gas meter comes back inside turns everything back on stays to make sure the hot water heater is working we turn on the furnace to make sure that the furnace kicks in you know we turn on the gas fireplace to make sure it works everything works fine thanks me and he's, he's on his way it was just I'm thinking, wow, this is how this type of stuff is supposed to work. And it's actually been my experience with We Energies. And I understand maybe people have horror stories, but I, I, I will tell you, this is just one of the another one of these cases where everything just worked out right. And I'm thinking, okay, th- this is because my wife, my wife had something this morning, so she couldn't stay. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, the window is 7 to 10. If the guy shows up at 11, we're, we're going to have an issue because I have this radio show at 10. Nope, he's there at 7.15 in the morning on his way by 8 o'clock. Um, and <laughs> hopefully I'm going to go home and there's still going to be hot water. But I, I'm convinced that there's still hot water. But it was one of those success stories that I thought was very positive. Okay, something that has not been a success story, and we've been talking about this a lot, the number of COVID-19 cases in the state is exploding. There's just no way around it. Now, the good news, as we have talked about before, is to the extent it is exploding, it is exploding primarily among younger people, the 18 to 24, the 19 to 29 group. Younger people are getting COVID. 
Nobody wants to get COVID-19, but if you're going to have someone get it, it's better to get it when you're 18 years old than it is to get it when you're 78 years old. And that's why, despite the fact that the daily numbers are going up, and actually in some cases going up dramatically over a couple months ago, the number of hospitalizations is not going up. The number of, of deaths isn't spiking or anything like that. If the goal is to try to flatten the curve as far as hospitalizations, we flatten the curve. I mean, that's people are getting diagnosed with it. And you know, I think we talked to a gal yesterday from UW-Madison, and she was saying, like, a lot of her friends, yes, they're testing positive, but but nobody's sick. Most of them are asymptomatic, and the ones that are sick, they think it's it's like a minor cold or something like this. Now, I understand, again, there's, there's the possibility that there's going to be long-term effects of this and things that we don't know, and nobody really wants to get it. But if somebody's got to get it, you'd rather it have a, be an otherwise healthy 18-year-old than, like I say, it would be a 78-year-old with all sorts of other their underlying health conditions. Now, the one thing that has been also true while the numbers are spiking is the fact that these numbers are spiking while we have been under a mask, statewide mask order by Governor Evers, right? And that mask order is going to expire in two weeks. He can try to extend it, but I, I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't have the legal authority to do that. He, he, got, he has 60 days. But that doesn't mean that local groups, local organizations, local governments can't continue to have their mask ordinances, even if you can't have the the statewide one. So we're in this really weird situation where you've got the mask ordinances that we were going to be told. We were told, okay, this is going to be the be all end all. You know, when once we have these mask ordinances, okay, everything's going to get under control. And we're now confronted with the reality that we have these mask ordinances, but but people aren't wearing the masks. So, but at least the numbers are going up, which tells me that either people are ignoring the rules or alternatively, masks aren't as effective as they were, as they were, uh, they're, they're not all they're cracked up to be. And I actually think the answer is probably somewhere in between, but there's no question people aren't following the, the ordinances, that people aren't following the governor's rules, people aren't following the local rules. Milwaukee says that if you're outside, you're supposed to be wearing a mask. Well, unless you're going to be six feet apart from people. Well, I mean, I challenge you. You pretty much drive down, you know, any street in the city of Milwaukee. You're going to see all sorts of people that are outside. And my guess is 75% of them aren't wearing masks outside. Inside might be a different story. So right now you have mask mandates that are largely, in my opinion, going unenforced. So here's, here's the question that we now have. If we're going to have these mask mandates, and if we accept my premise that one of the reasons why the COVID numbers keep going up is that a lot of people are saying we're not paying attention to these. So now the question becomes, do we need to rethink our our analysis? Do we need to say, all right, we want the police to start enforcing mask ordinances. We, We want them to start giving tickets. We want the legislature to start getting together. There's a story some community in Pennsylvania is considering making it a misdemeanor where you can not only be fined, but you can be put in jail for failure to wear a mask. Do we want to go to that next step and say, okay, we're going to have these rules. We're going to have these ordinances. We're going to have these different, you know, pronouncements. And now we're going to start enforcing them across the board. 
do we want to take law enforcement resources and say, we're going to now enforce these mask mandates? Or do we simply say, these mask mandates are, are really, they are suggestions, they make sense, we encourage you to do this, but we're not going to lock up people, we're not going to fine people for failing to do it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, as somebody who wears a mask when I go inside, from you know, when, who, you know, regardless of whether or not the business requires it, don't wear a mask when I'm outside very often. I, I think it's a good idea. At the same time, I think, I, I think we are not equipped to start saying, "All right, we're going to have the police called every time we see somebody that walks in a store without a mask, or every time in the city of Milwaukee we see three people walking down the street within six feet of each other." We're not going to have the police or the health department called. It's just these mask orders. It's fine to try to suggest to people this is what you should do. As far as starting to try to find people more or lock people up. My, my answer is we, we just can't do that. What do you think? We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, interesting, dur- during the break, I was talking to one of my colleagues who, who said, Jeff, do you think that there's, I, I, there, there's going to be nobody who thinks that like criminalizing or, or enforcing the, the mask laws and imposing ordinance fines and things like that, there's going to be nobody who thinks that's a good idea. And, and I... I said, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's practical. I think it's a diversion of resources. But I, I, I believe that there's probably a lot of people out there. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people out there who who actually do think that what we need to do is we need to more be more vigorous. And you need to be the police walking through the streets of Milwaukee. And if you see three people that are on the street together walking side by side and they're not wearing masks, what we should be doing is we should be giving them tickets. We should be giving them $200 fines. And we should be aggressively pursuing it uh, because otherwise you're not going to get compliance unless you can figure out I don't know, some other way to do it, like maybe trying to incentivize it. Like if you're a store or something, maybe instead of penalizing people for not wearing masks, maybe what you do is you create, I don't know, some little bonus here. If you're a grocery store, we want you to wear a mask. If you have a problem at a grocery store or something with people not wearing masks, hey, we're going to give people who come in and they're wearing masks, we're going to give them a coupon or something. We're going to give them, you know, a 50 cents off or a dollar off, you know, whatever the item is. See, maybe that's a way that you can get compliance. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to um, Lynn and Franklin. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, my opinion on this is instead of um, trying to uh, fine or arrest individuals, I think that you need to hold businesses accountable by um, having them follow the law. It's a state mandate. And if they have people that come to their establishment that don't have a mask on, they need to leave. Just like we have no, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service. You know, Menards, you walk in there and you have to have a mask on or they won't let you in. Okay, so l- let's the- walk let's walk this through in 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 the real world sure. sort of thing. Um, you and I own a a furniture store, okay? And there's the, there's the mask requirement, and you have some people who come in and they're not wearing the masks, and you and I go up to them and they say, okay, we we've got this mask requirement. You need to you need to wear those, and they say we don't believe in that. So at that point in time, what do we do? You, we throw them out. 
Well, you just say, you know, just like, like no shoes, no shirt. It's the same thing. You say, I- I'm sorry, if you don't want to wear a mask, you can't shop here. I mean, I, I don't know how you would possibly enforce it individually Right. Because I don't think that would work. So, okay, so then the question—I I mean, I'm trying—I'm I'm trying to be in a real world land. And I appreciate what you're saying. So then, yeah, okay, yeah. so you and I, we, you know, we we're, we we've been our furniture store is is been really taking a hit because it was closed for months, and we're we're trying to claw back. And now you've got these people that are in that store, and they're wearing, in our store. They're not wearing masks, but we want them desperately to buy. They're they're looking at five thousand a five thousand dollar bedroom set, and we really want them to buy that. Are, are are we going to are we going to put the onus on you and me to perhaps you know throw these people out of our store and lose that five thousand dollar sale? Well, I think it's pretty selfish, uh, you know. If you say, okay, yeah, I need that five thousand dollars, versus you know the safety of how many people someone might infect. Um, you know, I went into the Quick Trip right down the road, and I asked them why people why they're waiting on people without a mask, and her response was. Uh, it's not my job. And I truly feel that it's everybody's job to work together to try to get through this because it stinks. It, it stinks for everybody. And that furniture store is going to make a whole bunch of money once it opens up because more people are going to actually, you know, once it opens up um, full time to, you know, the type of traffic that they had prior to the mm-hmm. pandemic, they're going to make a heck of a lot more money. So put that mask on, make that happen sooner. So you'd put so the burden on that. You'd put money. the onus on the business. You think it's not the government's for responsibility. Sure. Okay. Thank, thanks for calling. Now that's, I, I mean, I, I think that's a tough call to make for, for the businesses. I mean, if so, if so, and I don't mean to pick on Evers, but Evers comes out with this. Okay. We're, we're going to require this. People need to wear masks. City of Milwaukee has an ordinance or whatever they have. We're going to have that mask requirement. I, I think it's tough. To say to the individual business, you're going to be the one responsible for it. You know, we as government have passed that that rule. I mean, it's not like, okay, your businesses aren't the ones that enforce like like the parking violation. Somebody's parked in front of your store for you know more than an hour. The meter is expired. We we don't say to the business, hey, you go out there and and you issue the ticket. What we say is. Okay, what you do is you you call the the parking checkers or whatever and say, hey, there's expired meters here. I think it's just as a practical matter. I think it's tough to say that we're going to make the businesses be the one that's responsible for enforcing this uh, across the board. And to me, that's kind of an abdication, I guess, of government responsibility. If it's if this is something that as a society we feel strongly about, that's one of the reasons I always say I don't think we should be passing laws or having ordinances that are unenforceable or where people aren't going to end up following them. Let's talk to Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, great topic. Uh, but here's how I look at it. It's kind of like a seatbelt. Um, and I think the analogy is perfect. Uh, I've been pulled over. I actually was stopped for not wearing a seatbelt. I put it on. And the cop was very nice. And, and he said, you know, you know just, just a warning, just a warning. Uh, but here's the deal. This is about life. You can't worry about cash in a furniture store if you don't have life people. We have to prioritize what the difference between our rights and our responsibility. Our responsibility to our culture, our country, is to get this over. Mm-hmm. And if we 
put politics in it, well, it just starts to disintegrate. Okay, Bill, but let me, let's. Say, I, I understand. Look, and I'm not arguing whether or not the mask mandate makes sense or not. But obviously, lots of people are making the decisions that they're not wearing them. So, what, how do we enforce it? Is it is it the government just, that enforces it? No, no, the police department enforces it, and here's how. It's real easy for a cop to walk up and say, hey, there's a mask mandate. We'd appreciate your cooperation. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the guy gets in his face, well, I think he needs a ticket. If he says, oh, thanks, we will do it. We're going to our car now. And and so you don't have to make it like you're going to jail because you didn't wear a mask. But there's so much ignorance out here, and I see it in the weekends, even in my city, of tons of people all together, and then they look like a deer in the headlight when one of them gets COVID. Well, put it together. We can't worry about economy if we don't have live people to create it. Well, I I, I mean, look, again, I I understand that. I I think there's a lot of people who, and I'm not anti-mask. I think there's a lot of people, though, who just simply make the decision that, we're and you're seeing that with the, the number of people who the, the young people who the things are spiking for who just make the decision that they, they know they're supposed to, but they choose not to do it. So if you have a type of noncompliance that is as high as it is, how do you get that compliance? And I guess I just the reality is we do not have enough police officers out there to, to go around and to issue tickets or citations for everybody who's in the quick trip who, who's not wearing their mask. That That's just kind of the reality that's there. Now, maybe maybe the answer is, again, trying to incentivize wearing the mask. Hey, we want you to wear the masks. And I tell you what, we're, you know, we're, we're giving away coupons for this for everybody who comes wearing masks. And that maybe that's going to be something that does it. Maybe that's the approach. But I just don't, especially given, you know, where we are with law enforcement resources, I, I just don't think we can start saying, all right, we're going to now make it a priority of law enforcement to go out and threaten to arrest people who aren't wearing masks. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. How can I say this? If Marquette was trying to figure out how to handle a situation worse than they are doing, I don't know how that would be. Okay, so here here is the deal. They've got a residence hall at Marquette, Schroeder Hall. It has 373 students in it. They have had a handful of positive COVID-19 tests. That They've had 3% who have tested positive. Now, I'm a do-the-math guy. 3% of 373 is 10 or 11 people. All right? So 10 or 11, maybe 12, if you want to round up, maybe 12 out of 373 have tested positive. Now, that's hardly an outbreak. Now, I understand that you want to control things so it doesn't become more of an outbreak, but but th- those aren't significant numbers. It's not like 20% or 25 or 30% of the kids have, have COVID. It's, it's 3%. So what Marquette has done is with very little notice, they have ordered a lockdown of this residence hall. In other words, people who you know are staying in the dorms, you are not allowed to leave your room. So if you're one of those 373 students, 
who lives in that dorm, you are now for the next two weeks, you are confined to your dorm room. You will be allowed to go out of the dorm room to go to the bathroom. And you're allowed to go out of your dorm room to go downstairs to the cafeteria to pick a grab or go meal. But then you've got to go back to your dorm room. You are not allowed to leave because 10, 11, 12 kids out of 373 have tested positive for COVID-19. Now, on top of that, obviously, the dorm is not a prison. So... Those are the rules that you have if you want to stay in the dorm. On the other hand, if you decide, hey, I don't want to be locked up in my dorm room um, for the next two weeks, you can leave. You, you can you can go into the community. You can go stay with friends of yours who live in an off-campus setting. You can go back to the community where you're from. You, you can leave. They, they can't force you to stay there. But, you know, they, they can force you, apparently, to stay in your rooms. Now, why do I think this is an insane way to approach this situation? It's because, first of all, there, there is not an outbreak right now in that dorm. You, you have 10 or 11 or 12 people. Wouldn't it make more sense to take the kids who have tested positive and to quarantine them? To say, okay, we're going to, we're going to move you. We're going to, we're going to set up a floor that, that's going to be there for the people who have, have tested positive. So if you test positive, boom, we're, we're going to get you away from everybody else. We're going to put you on, on, on a particular floor. We are going to separate the 12 of you and knowing that, you know, there'll probably be a few other people a, as well, but that's what we're going to do. But we're not going to punish the other, you know, 360 people because by imposing these restrictions, what you're essentially going to do is my guess is there's a huge chunk of these folks, these kids, who are going to say, we're not going to put up with this. We're, we're not going to be confined for two weeks in a facility where at least some people, you know, we, we know have, have had, have had COVID. So what we're going to do is we're going to leave and we're going to go out into the community at large and risk either infecting other people if, you know, we've been exposed and we're asymptomatic or, you know, we're, we're going to um, either or we're going to go home where we risk spreading it as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me that Marquette University has grossly overreacted to the situation by closing the entire dorm down and quarantining 373 people, but actually not quarantining them because if they choose to leave the dorm, they can do that. And that's the last thing that it would seem to me that you would want them to do. I mean, doesn't it make more sense to take the relative handful of kids who've tested positive and to segregate them? And then, uh, you know, you, you do the testing, you test the other kids um, as quickly as you possibly can, and you figure out, okay, you know, our, our, if, if, were you around one of these dozen kids that came down with COVID? And, and if so, you know, maybe we're going to ask you not to leave your dorm room or something like that, or we're going to make sure you get tested or whatever. And if you have any symptoms, please report it. But by quarantining them, I think you're going to see a good chunk of them who just say, we're not staying. And that's the last thing that you want to do. Doesn't it make more sense to get the kids who've tested positive out? 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because it seems to me all they're doing, this is, this is the functional equivalent of what you saw in Madison, where you had the county executive who said, I think we should close down the dorms and I think we should send all the kids out, you know, send, send them out into the community. Send them back home. So if they've been exposed, let's guarantee that they're going to spread it. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Hey, this week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank, is Miller Mobility. More about them a little later on in the show. For in and around home safety solutions, go to MillerMobility.com. Okay, if you're just tuning in, all right, the, the, one of the dorms at Marquette University had a mild, and I, I underscore, a mild outbreak of COVID-19, which shouldn't come as, as a surprise. It, it's out there. But out of 373 kids that live in the dorm, they had 10 or 11 or 12. Right, Rather than simply setting up a quarantine wing or a quarantine floor, they decided they were going to quarantine, that is, lock up all 373 kids, saying that you can't leave your room except to go to the bathroom and except to go downstairs and get some grab-and-go food. But, of course, they can do that. They, 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 if they decide, all right, I'm not going to put up with this for the next couple of weeks, they can leave their dorm rooms. They can go stay with friends who live you know, in, in the surrounding community. They can go home. They can go out and about. To me, all you're doing and all Marquette is doing is really facilitating the spread of this because, candidly, I guess if my kid was in that dorm and was otherwise healthy and was asymptomatic and, you know, you, you found out that somebody, okay, on another floor had COVID-19 and now they weren't going to let my kid leave for two weeks, my response would be, okay, well, maybe safer for you to get out of there, come home, what, whatever. That's why what Marquette is doing to me makes absolutely no sense at all. Okay, um, Jeff, the problem is neither approach really works reliably. The only real effective way to prevent spread in the community outside the dorm would be to forcibly lock down the entire dorm Hawaii-style for two to three weeks because on any given day, those who test positive are not known with certainty to be the only students infected and contagious. Right, I, I understand that. The problem is, of course, you can't do that. I mean, it's not it's not a prison and by doing what they've done now, I think they pretty much guaranteed that a huge chunk of those kids are going to leave. So to the extent that they they may have been infected, well, now you're dumping them out into the larger community. Jeff, the same thing happened to our daughter at Madison. Treating kids like prisoners leaves us as parents with no choice but to bring them back into our communities. We need to accept that kids are going to test positive, and that will get us to the end of the whole thing sooner um let's see jeff my daughter goes to the university of michigan and my niece goes to iowa state both of those universities had a strict covid testing policy prior to students being allowed to come on campus and have quarantine dorms set up so that if a student tests positive they move into the quarantine dorm until they either recover and test negative or test negative when retested it seems the wisconsin schools never really had much of a plan prior to the students returning to campus. Yeah, I see that that's it. A quarantine dorm makes sense to me. Okay? You you've you've tested positive, 
And I understand that there's going to be always this little, you're going to have some of the people who might be asymptomatic, and you're going to have some people that maybe there's a delay before you you know if they're positive or not. But to take, in this case, 350 people who are, as as, near as we can tell, otherwise healthy, not showing symptoms, and say that now you're going to be quarantined, and and we're going to lock you up with the people who have tested positive, well, gee, can can you understand why they might want to get out of that particular situation? Jeff, I'm a Lyft driver. The students at Marquette are really, I could probably say that word on the radio, but I'm not going to. Students at Marquette are really upset about this from those I've picked up. They all say that it makes absolutely no sense. Jeff, I agree on setting up a quarantine floor, etc. I'm curious, if 3%, 12 people is minor, what percent would you say would mandate taking more drastic measures? Well, first of all, I, I don't know what those drastic measures would be. I think you have every right to say to the people that have tested positive that you should be quarantined. I, I think that that's, you have every right to, to say to say that. Now, again, even with the kids who've tested positive, you know, if they decide to leave, you know, they're, they're going to be able to leave. You can't force them to stay. But I think most parents, look, if, if my kid tested positive for COVID and, and I knew he was going to be put in, okay, you're in a quarantine dorm here, you know, you're not sure you're going to get the medical treatment you need. Somebody's going to be watching you. And the truth, of course, is for most of the college kids, it's not going to be a big deal. And again, I always throw that this caveat. Nobody wants COVID-19. I get all that. I understand it. But again, for the typical healthy 19-year-old, it's it's not going to be a life or death issue like it would be for the 79-year-old cancer survivor. So I, I don't know at what point in time, I don't know if it's 20% or 30% or 50%. I, I don't know when and exactly what those drastic, more drastic measures would be, but it seems to me you, you have a you do. You have a quarantine dorm, and, and that's how you, you handle this. Um, Jeff, I think the students... Okay, um, Jeff, Marquette's actions are a great example of uneducated educational environments. We should be steering away from talk of mask mandates, social distancing, quarantine, and herb... and. And uh, herd immunity. An educational environment can become an educational bubble. What I suggested to our local school district was to conduct preschool year covered testing to establish our own district bubble. Um, why well, I think there is, you know, an, an element of that. Jeff, why is it that a restaurant needs to have a 10 point action plan to see 50% of capacity, yet the state run schools have no action plan and they can go full capacity? Well, that is interesting because and, and we talked about this before the schools open. And this is one of the things that I said. You knew that there was going to be, uh, you know, situations where t- people tested positive for COVID. That this, that this isn't a surprise. People are testing positive for COVID all across society. COVID is going to be with us. As I have argued, what we need to do is we need to figure out a way to take the people who are most vulnerable 
to you know, bad outcomes and figure out ways to to protect them. And I think that's where the resources end up needing to be spent. Now, do I think that you know? Hopefully, you would have you know twenty two year olds who are smart enough to realize that you shouldn't be running without masks down to the kegger down the hall for these super spreader things. Yes, I, but but there's only so much you're going to do. You can only control human behavior so much. So what you have to do, I think, is concentrate your resources on identifying the people who are most likely to have the bad outcome and doing everything that you possibly can to protect protect them while recognizing that until we get a vaccine, there's going to be COVID. And so that's why, again, it's stunning to me that you have a university like Marquette that would take this reaction when it's really only a handful of of people who ended up testing positive, because this is completely and totally predictable. I mean, it's I'm not surprised at all that, you know, given the fact that they're college kids, that, that you have a handful, 10, 11, 12, even 20 or 30 out of 373 that would have tested positive, which is why, to me, a quarantine floor is, you know, what makes the most sense um, as opposed to simply saying we're going to try to lock down there. So here's a text. So you think there are no younger people out there that haven't died from COVID? Well, of course not. I See, that that's the problem with, with the absolutists. I, I understand. Nobody, we don't want anybody to get it. I understand that. I get it. We don't want anybody to get it. But statistically, and this is being borne out, the COVID numbers are spiking across the state. But the reason hospitalizations aren't going up, the reason deaths aren't going up, despite the fact that numbers are spiking, is because people who are older are are social distancing. They're staying away. They're making some of the smarter choices. So, yes, nobody wants to end up getting it. But statistically, you're better off getting it if you're 19 than if you are 69. But my point about this whole thing is, given the fact that there's only so much you can control with human behavior, you have to concentrate on identifying the people that are most likely to have a really bad outcome. But if you're going to quarantine an entire dorm of 373 people, I think you pretty much guarantee that 150 or two of them, 100 of them just aren't going to put up with that, and, and they're going to end up leaving, going out into the greater community. How has that benefited anybody? This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As long as we're on the subject of COVID in colleges, right? the, the, the big news today is that the Big Ten is announcing that they are going to resume their, their college football season. And that, that, that's all well and good. I, I, I really don't take any position on that. You know, we'll, we'll leave it to the sports guys uh, down the hall for me to discuss that. But I do have a question, and it, it, I think it's a, a reasonable question to ask. The Big Ten made the decision in August that it was not going to be safe or practical to play football this year. All right? Yesterday, they changed course. They've now decided that we're, we're going to play football. Well, I don't want to be the you-know-what in the punch bowl, but my question is, what, what has happened? You know, what, what happened? What is different now at the end or middle of September than there was, than happened in, in August when they decided to not have the games? And the only thing I can point to is COVID is even more widespread on the college campuses. I mean, that, that there, there's no difference other than the fact that we're now seeing, like at UW-Madison, for example, they, they've resumed it, and, and COVID is, is more widespread than ever. There, there's really been no change about this. So let us be honest with what is going on here. Let us be honest about this. And I, I'd actually I'd have a lot more respect for the Big Ten if they just came out and said this. It's about the money. 
I mean, other colleges, other other conferences are playing football. Football is a big deal. It generates a boatload of revenue for the individual universities, and they want the money because nothing has changed as a practical matter. And again, I'm not encouraging them not to play. That That's fine. I, I, I don't think I would have shut it down in the first place. I think that there's ways you can deal with it. But as a practical matter, there's nothing different today than there really was, you know, four or five or, or six weeks ago when they decided that they couldn't end up playing. Now, I would argue if, if you can play high school football, and you can largely around the state of Wisconsin, my um my wife's grandson, his first football game, I think, is in, in a week or two. Yeah, a week or two. Um, and, and if you can play high school football, I would argue that the University of Wisconsin should be able to play football as well. So I understand that if you don't play football, it has a huge impact on the players who might go to the NFL. So I'm not against the decision to go ahead and play. I'm just saying... Well, if it was unsafe a month ago, there, there's really no different dynamic. Maybe maybe it means they shouldn't have canceled it a month ago, or maybe they should just fess up that there's so much money involved that they don't want to forego it. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The votes are in, and now it's time to find out the winners. The Wisconsin Sports Awards are coming, and they'll be unlike any WSAs before. Tune in September 28th as we broadcast the Wisconsin Sports Awards right here on 620 WTMJ. The ninth Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards are presented by Gruber Law Offices, Cousin Subs, Potosi Brewing Company, and American Family Insurance. It all happens Monday, September 28th, 6 o'clock on 620 WTMJ. Okay, so during the break, Melissa, you've been sitting there. I've been going, racking my brain. Right, go, going. You're going to tell me what this is, and I, I for whatever reason, because I'm that kind of guy, I, I just didn't. So you do not know what I was referring to, something that you have done that not too many people have done in the I last was, week or two. No, I was going over in my head, what did I do last week that was so revolutionary that not many people have done it? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what I did. You went to a movie. Oh yeah, I did. You you did now uh, right? You you went right? You okay? I now, did do that. Yes. You, you you went to you. What movie did you go see? I went and saw. Oh gosh. No, I'm drawing about not Tenet. Inception. Tenet. Tenet. You, you Tenet. Went and saw yeah. Tenet. <laughs> Christopher Nolan movie. Okay, you you went and you went and saw mm-hmm. Tenet. I won't yes. ask you what theater you saw it in, but theaters really right after Labor Day started started opening up. Okay, the theater you went to. So you went with your boyfriend? I did. Okay, you and your boyfriend. How many other people were in the theater to see the movie? All right. Well, there was one other person. One other person, one other not person. one other couple, no. one one other person. One person that sat way behind us. Well, yeah, it would have been weird if they had come and sat next to you. <laughs> hey, is this uh, is the seat open? <laughs> that, that, that I'd be like, been... no. <laughs> okay, all right. The and Tenet was the. I mean, Tenet is the big movie. This is this this. It was predicted. Spy thriller. Right, it, well, Christopher Nolan. Right. I mean, to, um, right. Two hundred million dollars mm-hmm. is what the the thing costs. Two hundred million bucks. So you you saw Tenet with yourself your significant other, and one other person. And I believe, correct, that is correct, and I believe the opening weekend it brought in $20 million. So people did go see it, but maybe just not at the theater I was at. Well, I'll, I'll, I, I actually have the, the numbers. <laughs> no, no, it, it didn't. But um, that's, that's tw- well, actually, in the U.S., this is a movie that cost $200 million. Yes. All right? 
This was going to be the big tentpole summer movie. This was going to be the movie that brought everybody back to the theaters. The first weekend, an opening weekend is the the big weekend for these things. First weekend, it collected $9.4 million. Oh, that was it. I thought it was Not, more than that. And hmm. over the first two weeks... Twenty-nine million. Okay. Okay. It costs, and and what happens with movies is typically it's the first weekend or two. That's where they make a lot of their their money. So the movie costs two hundred million dollars to make in the first two weeks. It, it made essentially we'll round up thirty million dollars. In other words, about fifteen percent. Yeah, about fifteen percent, which is um a, just a, a huge bomb. All right, when you were in the movie theater. Were there, and I understand the movie you were with, it was, you were at a multiplex, right? There were, there were multi, there were, were. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. W- were there, like, uh, were there long lines at the concession stands? Were there, were, there other, were there lots of other people maybe in some of the other theaters? There was a lot of people in another theater watching another movie. They were watching Bill and Ted. Oh, the Bill and the Ted. The Bill and Ted yeah, movie. Okay, right. But there wasn't any lines waiting for concessions or anything like that. Right. But they were all upstairs and yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, you 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 occupy some rare air because you, you've done something that just a lot of people have not done. Well, and I think because there wasn't that many people, of course I felt safe doing it because it was just three people. So I did not feel uncomfortable. No uncomfortableness. Right, because whether you're sitting in the big empty auditorium yes. with your boyfriend or sitting you know, on your couch at home with your boyfriend, you're, you're, you were gonna, the two of you were going to be together. Pretty much by ourselves. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you, Melissa. Mm-hmm. See, that's what you had done. All right. Now, I bring this up because movie theaters reopened after Labor Day. And as a general rule... The experience that Melissa had is the same experience that everybody else is having. People are not going back to theaters. Like I say, Tenet, which was, again, it's it, it was going to be like the Jaws for the summer, and this was going to be the movie, okay, if we're going to try to get people back to the theaters, this is what we're going to reopen with, and people are going to flood out to see it. $200 million film, $30 million, as Gru points out. That's 15% return on investment. That's about that. That's that's a bust, no matter how you do it. But it's now one of the caveats is that theaters in in New York and Los Angeles still haven't been allowed to reopen. So that that might skew the numbers down a little. But the point is, people aren't ready to go back to movie theaters. There, I don't think there's just any question uh, about that. That you know, even people who are diehard movie fans aren't going back to theaters in any sort of significant numbers. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I guess, obviously, if there was a movie I really wanted to see, and I, I was going to be sitting in an auditorium with uh, my wife and I and one or two other people, wouldn't be a concern. But my question is, are you ready to go back to movies? Have you been back to a movie and what's it going to, if the answer is no, what's it going to take to get you back? Now, part of the thing is a lot of the big studios, that they've, they've recognized that, that people aren't ready to go back now. So what they're doing is they're stalling their, their releases. There, there's, with the exception of Tenet and, and the Bill and Ted movie, which I would like to see, but that's kind of a, that, that, that's sort of a niche sort of thing. Uh, a lot of the other big movies that were out there, like the Wonder Woman 1984, which is supposed to open, they've been, they've kicked that back. I and mean, that was supposed to open, so it's been pushed back for months. But what's it going to take to get you back to a movie theater? 855 
616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, it's going to be some really good movie that I want to see. Some really good movie that I want to see. Um, but until then, if it's just, just for the, the experience, eh, I, I think, you know, that's what God made Netflix for. 855-616-1620. I, my point of this is, I, I think, I think it's going to be a long, tough slog for movie theaters. And I'm not sure it's ever going to be the same. I, I think, you know, simply reopening is fine. But the reopening and then assuming people are going to come, at least right now, that is not the case. What's it going to take to get you back to movie theaters? And if you have gone back, you know, why and what was the experience like? 855-616-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, I go to a movie, but I'm not wearing a mask for two and a half hours at a theater. I'm not paying top dollar to be uncomfortable through the cinematic adventure. I mean, that that is a point. And I think that, uh, I, I, I guess I haven't been to a theater, but I think unless you're eating or drinking, you're suppo- actively eating or drinking, you're supposed to wear the, the masks, I believe. And I mean, I think that would be a factor. If I'm, again, I'm not necessarily anti-mask, but there is a point if I can if I can sit at home and stream, for example, Bill and the new Bill and Ted movie for twenty bucks, which is what it would cost to stream it on demand, and sit in my living room and watch it on my big screen TV. Even though I like the theater experience, am I going to go and spend the money and then buy the refreshments and then sit and wear a mask? That that's I think a, a factor. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Brandon in Germantown. Brandon, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, my wife and I, we needed a, a date day, and we were able to get out on a Saturday afternoon. This past Saturday, it was raining. And, you know, I thought, wow, perfect time for people to be at the movie theater, pulling to Miami Falls. The parking lot was a ghost town. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought there'd be a few more cars. We get greeted right at the door by the, uh, the ticket salesperson. They walked us right up to the ticket counter, took care of us right into our movie theater. Uh, we had to take some tape off the seats that said uh, these seats were sanitized. Right. So that, you know, I guess added that extra comfort of safety. Um, movie started going. I looked around. There were six people in there. Okay. Uh, so it felt very comfortable. Uh, the movie was unhinged. It was a very interesting movie, to right. say the least, but there wasn't much to choose from. Were you supposed and to wear, were you supposed to wear a mask? Did you wear a mask during the whole thing? We did. So we um, we ordered some popcorn, and we were munching on the popcorn. Once the popcorn was done, we we put our masks on. Now, I'll be honest, um, I was wearing it below the nose, <laughs> which, <laughs> okay. which made it a little bit more comfortable, but um, right. but we did. We complied. Okay. So. No, no thank, thank, I get it, but, but that, I think that's kind of a factor that, that's out there as well. And again, this isn't, this isn't the mask debate one way or the other, but it's a decision that people are making to do what, you know, what Brandon was talking about. Okay, we're going to, we're going to buy the popcorn. We're going to buy the soda. We're going to spend whatever it takes to go there. And I do think that that is, is a factor that, that's there that people are saying, well, okay, for my entertainment. I mean, it's one thing. Okay. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to get on an airplane. And I'm going to wear a mask because I, I want to fly down to, you know, Florida or, or, or whatever. So I'll wear a mask on the plane because that's the rules. It's because you want to get down to Florida. It's another thing, though, when you're saying, "Okay, I've got all these different choices with my entertainment dollar. And do I want to sit with the mask on? And I'm not arguing about it one way or the other. Just saying I think it's a factor that comes into play. Ray in Sheboygan. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. 
I, my wife and I, before the shutdown, would go every Tuesday night. We call it date night, and we go pick a movie and go see it. But the problem is there's no movies we want to see. Yeah. All the ones that we want them to release, they aren't releasing. So we aren't going because yeah. the movies we want to see aren't there. Now, uh, the one that my wife did want to see was the Mulan. So right. they brought that out streaming like a week ago. We paid the the 30 bucks or whatever it was to get it. And we watched it at home instead of the movie theater because it wasn't in the theater. Yeah. So if they'd open the theater and bring the movies back, we would go. Right. And that's a chicken and the egg thing, Ray, because they, it, some a lot of the movies are, are delayed because of, of COVID and they stop production. But some of the big movies they have, like the Wonder Woman 1984 movie, that's... They don't want to release it if it's going to bomb like the Tenet one did and when people aren't comfortable going back. So you're right. So people look and say, well, there's really not that much out there that I want to see. So, you know, yeah, it doesn't I get mean, you off the couch. If yeah. they bring Wonder Woman, we would go. We would go to Wonder Woman. We would go to the movie theater. We'd buy our popcorn. We'd buy our drinks, just like we were before the thing. But if it's not there, I'm not going to go right. see some movie that I don't want to see. Right. No, no, thank no, I exactly. And that that's that's kind of one of that's the challenge that that they have out there. You don't want to you don't want to bring the and look, Tenet is a movie. I, I guess I just don't have that much interest in it. I know it's been getting all the, this kind of hype that's there. The the Bill and Ted movie because it sort of appeals to the the kid in me. Yeah, that 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 has a little bit of an appeal, but it's not the kind of movie that my wife would particularly like, so you know we're we're not going to run out. And I guess if I want to watch it, <clears throat> like I say, I I can get it on demand for twenty bucks. I think is what it was costing, which would still be cheaper than than two of us going to the movie theater. And by the way, I can watch it in my living room or my den, not on a giant why not on a giant screen, but I can watch it on a pretty big screen TV, you know, in my house, and I don't have to pay for the different things, and I don't have to wear the mask. Let's talk to Wendy and. Appleton. Hi, Wendy. You're in WTMJ. Hi there. Have you been back to a movie so theater husband, since? They've... We have. Uh, we went a week and a half ago. My husband and adult son and I went, um, and we felt it was probably the safest public place sure. we've been to since this all started. They've added kick plates to the doors so you don't have to touch them. Um, somebody else mentioned like the tape on the seats so you know if your seat's been sanitized or not. Um, it, we were also the only people in the theater. It was a Saturday afternoon, so that helped as well. But, so, I mean, um, when you say yeah. you were the, I'm seriously, when you say you were the only people, do you mean that literally? You were the only people in the theater. In that theater, yeah. yes. But yeah. Appleton's not a big market, and it was a smaller theater. It probably uh-huh. only seats like 40 people to begin with. So um, there were other people there, but we really didn't run into people at all. Like we were the only ones in line to get food. So it was very uh, easy in and out. And we did not wear our masks during the movie, nor would I, even if there were other people in there. I feel like I'm in my seat. I'm way more than six feet away from anybody else. So, you know, of course I'd put it on if I got up to go to the restroom or something. But but not while I'm sitting in my seat. Right, but you you were kind of in the theater by yourself. What did you see? I'm just curious. We went to see David Copperfield. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that that that's out there, too. Was it a good movie? Mm Mm-hmm. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. I mean, we we all enjoyed it. So. Okay. Good. Well, it's not an action adventure, but it's an artsy kind yeah. of movie. So. Well, there's a thanks for the call. There, there's there's 
spaces for artsy people too. I, I, in artsy movies. Look, I guess the, the bottom line of all this is that the, the theaters are reopening right now. But at least, and, and I, I'm getting texts from people who say they didn't even know the theaters were reopened. And, and and it's not a question of do I think it is risky to go there, but I think at, at this point in time, people just aren't comfortable with that yet. And candidly, I think it's I think it's going to be a tough slog for theaters for the foreseeable future getting people back. And I think as long as you've got some of the requirements, like the mask rules, again, I'm not debating the merits of that one way or the other, but, you know, people just saying, hey, I, 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 for my entertainment, I don't want to sit and have to wear something for two and a half hours. Um, there's other things I can do. I guess I'm glad to see that they're open. I'm a movie buff. There's no question about it. But I think it's going to take some really special movie to start getting people back to theaters. And I don't know when that's going to happen. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Melissa, do you ever watch South Park? You know the show? You know, I do. I got it on the TV right there. I I see it. You know, it's not one of my favorite shows. Every once in a while, I would turn it on. Right. Do you like it? Well... I, do I like it? Um, I, I am not a, a regular South Park watcher, but mm-hmm. every once in a while I'll catch a show, and and I guess I'd say a little of it goes a long way. There there are things that they will do, and for people who aren't familiar with South Park, it, it's it's you, you've got the it follows these second grade kids, and it's a cartoon, but it's a lot more adult than The Simpsons is, yes. and. And I guess I find this, I find South Park to be really hit or miss. There are, there are things that they will do that just, my jaw drops and I can't believe (laughs) that they're doing this particular thing. And I find it funny as heck. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's tough to sustain for like a 30 minute. Oh, it's very raunchy. Raunchy at times. Which is one of the things that kind of makes it, and just sort of bizarre. And the guys that do it are just, they're they're just really, really twisted. And, and a little of that goes a long way with me, which isn't to say that sometimes you'll watch this stuff and you go, my God, that's really (laughs) funny. But then, you know, then it's okay. Where, where are you going to go from here? Gru, are you a fan? Now keep in mind, Jeff just says, oh, it's on the TV there. This was not on when the the baton was passed from Scafidi to Wagner. No, well, of course Jeff, not. Well, Jeff put this on. Well, yes. Well, we I, no, I, I freely acknowledge <laughs> that we have, we have multiple TVs here, and we've got one with CNN, and we've sure, got we one got with five. Channel Four, and we've got a weather thing, and we've got to, just want to make that known, and, and, and we've got a traffic <laughs> thing, and then there's one TV screen, only one of all these that I get to control, and and yeah, sometimes it'll be Pawn Stars, and sometimes it'll be Bering Sea Gold or Gold Rush. It's just, and I don't watch it, but it's just kind of like up there in the background. Yes, I, I like Pawn Stars. Actually, I really like that show. I, okay, but to the, the larger point, before yeah, you kind funny. of sidetrack, <laughs> you, yeah, you like it? Uh, I, I haven't, I, I haven't like actually sought it out in in years. Right. But I want to say mm-hmm. about five to eight years ago, that's when I watched the most of it. Right, and it's 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 just it's, you're right. It's raunchy. It's twisted. Now I bring this up because they announced yesterday that South Park, that they, they've only been they've only been like thirty minute shows. They're doing a special, September 30th, they're doing a special hour-long South Park based on, on coronavirus. And I, I do think I want to see that because my, my guess is, again, this is the most incredibly politically incorrect show you can imagine. So I, my guess is that 
everybody is going to get skewered on this particular one. Yeah, I uh, I can already imagine it. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's like September. an hour long. That's a long time. It, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thirty minutes can be a long time too. But every once in a while, they they did this one Christmas show once, and it's it's just I can't even describe it on the radio. But it's one of these like just jaw dropping sort of things. Yeah. Every once in a while, things are really hit and miss. But one thing they do almost always very well is topical, like something that mm-hmm. happened within the past month or week. So that's something that you don't see a lot of shows doing. A lot of shows you see now are not going into the whole coronavirus right. pandemic. They're kind right. of keeping that separate. So this would be interesting to have well, an hour-long well, South Park And what it. they do is is the guys that do it, they, they apparently, you know, a lot of these shows, like The Simpsons, Simpsons the, the turnaround is, is weeks, you know, months sometimes. And South Park, it, it's like on a daily basis. Like, they, there's a very good chance they are still writing the show that's going to air, you know, in two weeks, you know. And so they're, they're always rushing. So it's always really really current so i i just i bring that up because um now that that's that could be must watch television much ctv so well, i'm sure we'll hear more about it the, the next day a as lot it, of it as it gets closer <laughs> yeah. right um if you were to look up the definition of dumpster fire in the dictionary you you would see a picture of the cd's the director of the centers for disease control i you know regardless of how you feel about how president trump's responded to covid 19 i i think the one thing we can agree on is that the, the cdc has just been a hot mess now the center for disease control the, these are the folks that are supposed to figure out how to tell us what we're supposed to do to protect ourselves. And with with coronavirus, for whatever reason, it's been a dumpster fire from the beginning. Keep in mind that this was the CDC that came out in the beginning and said, you, you don't need to wear masks. All right, well, now, now of course, that the whole strategy has changed and everybody's saying that you need to wear masks, and, and that may be all well and good, but you would have thought they would have known that beforehand. The CDC said, okay, we, we don't need to rush to close down stuff. Now they're saying we need to close down stuff. Today, this morning, the director of the CDC, oh, and a week or so ago, that they came out and they said, well, we, we've changed our guidance. We now don't recommend, if you're not symptomatic, we don't recommend that you need to get tested for COVID-19. Now, candidly, there's an element of that that makes a little bit of sense to me. But but regardless, that's contrary to what they've been saying for the last several months, which is we want to test everybody. And then after they say it and they get this backlash, then they start to back off and say, well, maybe that's not quite what we meant. Today, the director is making a statement at a Senate hearing, and he says that wearing a mask is more likely to protect somebody from coronavirus than taking a vaccine. Huh. You know, and, of course, it's the same CDC that, again, didn't recommend masks at the beginning, but he says, well, okay, uh, an eventual vaccine is not expected to work in 100% of the people, might work in only 70%, but a mask is guaranteed to offer at least some protection for its wearers. Of course, the problem is that that's far from total protection. Again, look, I don't want to get drawn into the mask debate anymore, but I'm just telling you that the Center for Disease Control, which is supposed to be on top of this stuff and supposed to be giving consistent advice to people, it's just been absurd. And now you have somebody saying, okay, well, even when we get a vaccine, that's not going to be the solution. You know, wearing masks is better off. You're, You're better off because it gives you some little bit of protection whereas the vaccine might give you total protection, but not for everybody. Give me a break. All right, let us switch gears. Um, 
The Archbishop of the Catholic Diocese in Milwaukee is Jerome Lisecki, who and uh, and Archbishop Lisecki has been on the program, you know, on, on multiple occasions. I, I like him on a personal level. He is now saying that Catholics should be going back to Mass. Now, um, the city, the Archdiocese, up until now, first of all, they were all closed. And then the churches started to have restrictions where they were limited to 25% of capacity during COVID. Those restrictions are now starting to be lessened. And the archbishop is saying, okay, it is time for people to start going back to churches. He says that, um, remember, you're supposed to attend church. It's a grave sin to fail to do that. Live-streamed services have helped people remain connected. They do not replace in-person worship. And he says that, um, you know, if if you're at risk because of your age or underlying medical conditions or a compromised immune system, okay, that's fine. But otherwise, it's time for people to start going back to church. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is, is it time for people to start going back to church? Um, the the church that I go to has has been closed. I'm not Catholic. Um, I'm Episcopalian. And um, our diocese around here, it's, it's been closed. And I understand it's a source of frustration for a lot of people who attend the church that I attend because they want to be in person in church. They don't feel that the live streaming, you know, satisfies what they're looking for. And candidly, I think there's lots of people that I know that have started going to other churches that have been allowing in-person attendance. And I'm not sure they're coming back to, I'm not sure they're coming back to our church. 855-616-1620. Is it wrong for the archbishop to say, okay, time to start going back to church in person? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I figure if I'm going to hell, it's not going to be because I play golf on Sunday mornings during the the summer and the early fall and the late spring. But but that is coming to an end. And I, I, I will say this, um, watching the the church services being live streamed and stuff, that, that is a pale comparison. I, I like going to church. I like being in person. And I, I think... That's a frustration that a lot of people are having. Anyhow, Archbishop Lestecki says it's time for Catholics to start going back to church in person. What do you think about that? Let's talk to Howie in Whitewater. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think there's a twofold deal here. I, I, I believe that as long as, long as you're going to social distance or going to have to wear masks, I have no problem with mm-hmm. that. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Also, I think this is calling them all back is all about money more than anything. I think a lot of people that haven't been going to mass have not been sending any money. To oh yeah, I, I think churches are hurting. I, I think you're you're exact. I don't think there's any question about that. I think churches, all denominations, are hurting because you know that's. That's one of the ways that people get more connected to the church community. You go in person on a regular basis, and it's not just putting money in the donation plate every Sunday or Saturday evening or whatever. That's the connection, and it's difficult to keep that going in a in a Zoom church service or something. Exactly right, and I think that you know, and that's the only reason that they're doing this. But you know, I guess we won't know until we go forward and find out. Uh, do you think it's unsafe to go back to church? 
Um, to a degree, yes. Hmm. See, I guess my answer. I mean, thanks, I guess my answer would be it depends. And I mean, and it gets if if you're talking about you know one of these a mega church experience where you're going to be you know sitting on a pew you know at full pews and and 500 people or 750 people in the church i would i be uncomfortable with that yes the answer i think i i would be at the same time I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily representative of a lot of the, the churches. I don't think you have that kind of in-person attendance that's there. And as long as you maintain some degree of capacity limits, uh, would, would I be willing to sit and wear a mask for you know two and a half hours to sit through some bad movie? No. Would I be willing to wear a mask for forty-five minutes to sit through a church service? Yeah, I, I'd go that route. Uh, route. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. You're in WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Um, great, great topic. Um, but listen, I, I think there's uh, we're heading into winter and fall, and I think there's a, a social, uh, a psychological, um, spiritual element that to get people back to church. I think if people aren't, um, you know, watching a mass on television or listening to it on the radio, which I do, um, you know, that that's that's not the same as 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 being in church or receiving the sacrament. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think as long as social distancing is observed and, and um, people are wearing masks, I, I think it's, it's probably a, 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 a movement that we should, we should think about uh, going forward this winter, uh, depending on, you know, if there's a breakout in that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I, I think if you do it right, it's same with the schools. If you do it right and you social distance, I think, People can go back to church, and if they're elderly and immune compromised, that's one thing. But the younger crowd that may not be so affected by this virus, um, I, I think it's time to go back to to mass. Yeah, Gianni, I, I guess I I agree. Now, at the same time, a number of people are in the text line are making the point that um, you know typical typical church congregations are are overwhelmingly high risk groups, and which, which means. Uh, it older and I, I, under, I understand there's young people that go and there's middle-aged people that go and there's families that go but I mean when I when I think back to, to I think on the church I go to I, I would say it would be disproportionately people who would be older so I understand the concern but I guess and this is sort of my overarching philosophy on this COVID-19 in my opinion is going to be with us for the foreseeable future we have to figure out a way to live with it. And, and nobody, nobody wants to get it. And I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible, but we have to figure out a way, a way to live with this. And I guess I, I sit there and I, I think that, okay, if we're at a point where you can have, I don't know, a hundred people in a, in a restaurant, okay, th- does that mean you can't have 35 people, you know, at, at a church service? And, to me, the, the answer would be, yeah. And again, if the, the, your church's teachings are, you're, you're supposed to attend mass on a, you know, in-person basis, I, I think you can figure out a way to do it safely. Now, again, if, if you were going to be looking at these illustrations and if you had, you know, a thousand people cramming into a, a space that only, you know, seated 850, I, I would have a different opinion, but I guess my sense is that's not really the case. I And I guess I understand what the Archbishop is talking about. Now, the cynics, and I'm hearing from a lot of you, are suggesting that you think that this is just all about money, and I'm sure to an extent for for any 
any church, any religious observation, that there, there's, there's going to be a factor of that, like we talked about. I think it's going to be interesting to see. Um, we're, we're coming up on the Jewish high holidays, which start what Friday, I think. You know, Rosh Hashanah starts, which is the holiest time of years for, for time of year for, for, um, you know, for 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 people of the of the Jewish faith. So it'll. I, I, I wonder what that's going to do. My guess is that you're not going to have the, the temples as, as crowded as they might otherwise be. Just, this would be my, my guess on it. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to when my church starts going back to live in-person services because I, I think they're going to do it in a way that feels comfortable for them. And I, I think, candidly, it's it's hurting all the churches by not going back to the in-person stuff. The sooner they do that, the, the better. And at some point in time, like I say, I, I think you got to understand that we got to figure out how to live with, with COVID-19. And to the point we were talking about in the earlier segment, I guess if you can reopen the movie theaters, can't you reopen the churches? This is Jeff Wagner.